Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. It's time once again to have a marvelous time on the Middle Seats podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm your host. Welcome back to the show, Andrew Ojay. Let's meet the panelists for today. You want to give him 10 rings and propose over and over again, Mr. Nate Longarini. <laughs> How are we doing, everybody? Been a bit, but missed you all and happy to be back on the mic here. And his opinions are the subject of my venom most of the time, Mr. Jay Kensler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a little, little like wordplay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, good good to be back. My my long hiatus has ended. I'm very excited to be here talking about movies again. I haven't seen that much, but I'm very excited to talk about one, the ones that I have seen. That's good. That's good. Set the bar very low to start. Let's do oh, it. Oh, so low. We just got to step over it and try not to trip. <laughs> well, we won't have any Star Wars talk here. Get that solo shit out of here. This is Marvel. <laughs> yeah, and we've got the two Marvel movies of the fall season to talk to you about today. We're going to break format a little bit uh, because we're playing a little bit of catch up with some of our reviews. Um, so today is going to be primarily a one-two double review. Uh, the first part, we're going to talk about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the proper MCU movie. And then we're going to talk about the Marvel movie, uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which, of course, is the sequel to the 2018 original, which we reviewed on this show a long time ago at a galaxy far, far away. There you go. I'll get a little bit of Star Wars in there. <laughs> Nate, Nate is white-knuckling his mouse after just saying no Star Wars, dog. <laughs> yeah. Just to spite me. Well, we've got a lot to get through, so let's jump right into our review of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. The Ten Rings gave our family power. If you want them to be yours one day, you have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. You are a product of all who came before you. I told my men they wouldn't be able to kill you if they tried. Glad I was right. Is this what you wanted? Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and that's probably the last time I'm going to say the full title because you get the point. It's directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who uh, who has kind of built his career based on a bunch of indie films. Specifically, he works a lot with Brie Larson uh, on movies like Short Term 12 and The Glass Castle. He most recently worked on Just Mercy, which is this courtroom legal, legal drama that got a little bit of awards buzz back in 2019, I believe. He jumps on the MCU. This is the 25th MCU movie. Uh, as of right now, it is the highest grossing movie of 2021, beating out fellow MCU movie Black Widow. Uh, I expect that will continue to serve until the next MCU movie comes along, because that's how things go, is that they just kind of high-five each other and pass each other like <laughs> ships in the night <laughs> for the, the top of the box office supremacy. Basically just a relay race. All right, I finished, right exactly. up, I finished up all my money. Here you go. All right, here's another $300 million. Here you go. <laughs> Literally handing yep. off the baton. It's a self-high-five every time. It has a primarily Asian cast. It's kind of the Black Panther for Asians in the MCU. Simu Liu is the star. He plays. He stars as Shang-Chi, who goes by Sean. 
in the real world. He's forced to confront his past. He used to be a part of this organization with his father, Wenwu, played by the legendary actor Tony Leung, who is the, uh, Wenwu was the leader of the Ten Rings organization. He kind of is the MCU's version, proper version of the Mandarin, which of course is a very popular comic book character. Shang-Chi has run away from that. He lives a secluded life with his friend Katie, uh, played by Aquafina in San Francisco, and that life comes back to him, and basically it's about him confronting his father and confronting what it means to be a hero with extreme martial arts skills and eventually certain superpowers that we'll go into. Some of the other actors, like I said, Simu Liu, Aquafina, Mohar Chung, Tony Leung, Fala Chen, Florian Monteau, Benedict Wong, of course, reprising his role as Wong from Doctor Strange, and then Michelle Yeoh, another classic and beloved Asian actress. So this is kind of a MCU goes into the realm of martial arts for the first time. Um, there's been a lot of positive reception to this one. I think I would say that the reception has definitely been more forthcoming and warm than it was towards Black Widow earlier in the year. I think that's an easy thing for me to say. Now the question is, what did we think about it? And what do we think of it as an origin movie? as the latest installment in the MCU, what it means for the future. Nate Lingarini, what did you think of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Alrighty, yeah. So, I, I very much enjoyed this one. It very much felt like a firecracker to me, where it went off in a bang, with probably one of the best action scenes I've seen in any Marvel movie, period, and then a pretty darn good and creative action scene, maybe 20 minutes later. Uh, the first and second acts of this movie are really strong, and it's carried a lot on the the two the two leads. There's uh, Simu Liu playing our titular character, Shang-Chi, and then Tony Leung as the father, who's kind of the main antagonist, has this really cool dynamic, and this is probably the closest we've seen to like a big boss character before in Marvel without all the hubbub that Thanos got. Uh, it reminded me a lot of um, Kingpin from the Daredevil season, where it's just like, this is somebody you do not want to mess with, and you can tell just based on the company he keeps and all that stuff, um, even before you start seeing him do all of his own moves, too. Uh, all in all, had a really good time with the setup of this movie, where it petered off a little bit and the firecracker kind of ran out of fuel was the third act for me. I might be the odd man out on this part, but for me personally, it started so strong and so clean cut that when we finally got around to the part where the movie needs to give you exposition again and explain what's going on, it lost its luster and uh, lost a lot of momentum too. The movie really took a hard pause. All in all though, for Marvel fans, rejoice. You've already seen the movie maybe twice by now, by the time this comes out. But it was a very strong start to continue Phase 4 with the MCU. Yeah, there's a lot of explaining to do in the movie period because this, Jake, spans across like 25 to 30 years of Sean slash Shang-Chi's life and has to go into a lot of mythology and backstory of a corner of the MCU that we just haven't seen before. It's kind of similar to Black Panther, if Black Panther didn't have like an initial uh, like introduction in Civil War. So it's got to start completely mm. from scratch. What do you think of the movie in general, Jake? And then how do you think it balanced 
telling this story that actually has a lot of layers to it. Um, yeah, it's Shang-Chi is a rock solid, really fun time from beginning to end. It's it's never dull. Like usually there's a standout action sequence that's like primarily better than the others. You know, like Civil War, obviously the airport fight scene is the big one, but there's multiple good ones. Shang-Chi, I feel like, was really consistent as far as action goes. But another thing I really liked about it is how it kind of balances, like, living in this world and, like, dealing with, you know, his, I mean, his daddy issues, I guess. But then it also dives into kind of, like, like a fable-esque, almost fairy tale like story. And then it blends them together toward the end. And I thought all of them, the whole, like, all of it was really, really fun, really, really engaging. Like, it's probably, I'd have to look at her rankings. It's probably in my top 10 Marvel. It's right around there. But that's like, there's so many movies that are fighting for that, those top 10 spots. That's a compliment. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many good Marvel movies now. They have yet to fail, in my opinion. But yeah, Shang-Chi is upper, if not upper middle. So I know like Marvel can be a little bit formulaic, but I still feel like they're giving enough independent and creative freedom to the point where like, like we've seen this play out a little bit before, but it's still so fresh. They're able to do that time and time again. And I don't know. I'm just I'm just so impressed. Like the acting was consistently good. The action was really top notch. This might be one of the best action movies Marvel has because every sequence was really, really well done. And the villain ended up deeper than I thought. He's not just, oh, 10 rings, really powerful, more power, manja manja. Like there's a there's more to it. And mm-hmm. that made him more compelling, which I think that movie needed. Um, so then, yeah, just really, really no complaints, like rock solid from start to finish. Really good time. There is something to be said for the excitement of the start of something new. Like, we are so ingrained now, 24 movies in the MCU, and we know a lot of the familiar characters, and we've grown to love and followed them across their arcs. But it's kind of nice to start from scratch somewhere every once in a while. You know what I mean? And we've been talking about, that's what the MCU is going to have to do with movies like this Mm -hmm. and Eternals, specifically if we're talking about this year. They're going to have to start at square one and, like, reintroduce new and exciting, fresh things. Like, if you think about the history of the MCU, that kind of happened already when we had 10 to 11 MCU movies, and then the Guardians of the Galaxy were added, and they added a new jolt. And then you added all the Black Panther characters, and you added the Ant-Man characters, and so on and so forth. They've been doing this consistently, and I think this is one of their best introductions of a new... Basically, if we're coloring in the the annals of the history of the MCU. This is a new section that we start. And it's one of the more exciting sections because this movie is as solid of an origin story as they've ever told. It might be, I'm trying to think of like pure origin stories that the MCU has done. And I think the only one that rivals it is the original Iron Man. That's that's what I was thinking. Because like there's a difference between a solo movie and an origin movie. Like I think I like Black Panther better than this film, but that's not an origin movie, obviously. That just introduces us to the world. This is a straight-up origin story. Do you count Guardians of the Galaxy as origin? I guess you could, yeah. Yeah, it's the first time we're seeing those characters. And and, and it's the origin of the team, too, so I think that would actually count. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so then I I would say there's two, in my opinion, that rival it, but, like, good company, you know what I mean? Right, and I think what what sets it apart is everything you guys are saying. It's got this dense mythology, it's got this really compelling conflict between hero and villain that both strengthens the hero and the villain. Like, yeah. God, this movie knows 100%. that Tony Leung is its greatest asset, and it uses it to great advantage. There's a reason that so much of the prologue is, you know, designed around his character, and so much of what happens and how Shang-Chi is forced to become the Shang-Chi that will eventually, hopefully, help the Avengers 
is it's centered around him dealing with this personal trauma. Anytime you do a father-son thing, it's already compelling. But this movie does it really well. Amen to that. And it's just, it's just a super entertaining, great action, like you guys are saying. Very good direction and very good craftsmanship in coordinating these fight sequences. But there, there's the reason it all works is fight sequences with nothing behind it is one thing. The, the emotional conflict of this movie and the introduction of all the different characters is what really sold it for me. It, it genuinely made me excited to see what comes next from these specific sets of characters. And you can't always say that uh, for the MCU stuff. Like, I, I mean, I walked out of, like, the Ant-Man movies, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll hang out with them again. But I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm 100% excited to hang out with them. You know what I mean? Like, the, mm -hmm. they're fun. These characters, I cannot wait for their next adventure. And that's that is such a... Thumbs up. And I would agree with Jake that I would say it's upper echelon of MCU movies. It's pro it's definitely in my top ten. I think I had it at number six or seven last I checked. I, I just think it, it 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 delivers so well on what it's trying to do. And yeah. we've had so many times where we've kind of had a – I think Black Widow was a good example where we, we kind of justified like, yeah, that was good, but I don't know – I don't know what my expectations for it were, and I don't know if it lived up to those expectations – I had very yeah. clear set goals for this, and it not only reached them, but basically exceeded them. Um, yeah, I would say pretty much ditto that. It it was about as good as I was hoping it would be. I feel like Marvel's, in my opinion, reaching this point where I have, like, numerous seven, seven and a half, eight out of tens, and then only a few that fall below seven and six and a half, and only a few that get to, like, eight and a half, nine. Most of them are in that seven to eight range, and this is, like, a really rock-solid eight along with... Black Panther and a bunch of other ones. Like, it's right in there with most of their really good movies. Like, they're just consistently... They're like a machine. They just keep turning out rock-solid movie after rock-solid movie, and then maybe there's just a decent one, and then there's another rock-solid one. <laughs> it's kind of insane, but it's so impressive in that they're able to do cultural ones like this, too, like this and Black Panther. They're able to keep upping the game and still making it Marvel. Like, you can tell this is a Marvel movie. Yeah. Even though it's got its own twist and it's got its own style to it, it's still Marvel, which, I don't know, I think that's so impressive. And some would say that's for better or worse. And, Nate, it seems like you were kind of leading towards that way when we were, you were kind of hinting at any kind of issues you might have, particularly with the third act. Where, I mean, like, these movies have reputations for having very specific problems and that a lot of them have the same problems. And that's one of the things that a lot of people critique movies about, which is the Marvel movies about, which is, like, they build to a certain point and then they're all just big CGI extravaganzas by the end. Yep. And I think I can't really get into too deep about that until we move into spoilers, if we're ready to do that. Yeah, I think all the points I have, I, I if I have issues that aren't spoiler-laden, I, I think I want to discuss a little bit more about the structure of the story, because there's a lot of different flashbacks that are interspliced. And uh, I think uh, I think an issue for me is in that middle third, we've have, we got a little bit of a pacing issue. Uh, did either any of you guys feel that? Because, oh, I mean, we're going yeah. back in time and current time and back in time. And it's all compelling stuff. It's just a matter of the presentation of the material that I had mm -hmm. an issue with. <laughs> it's like that scene from the Purge episode of Rick and Morty where he's like, I think we should start our stories where they begin. And it's the complete opposite here where I feel like we went back and forth between past, present, past, present, maybe five times in 20 minutes. Um, yeah. It might have almost been cleaner to just say, all right, here's all the past stuff in one big burst, and here's how it matters to the present, or something like that. 
or maybe even just two chunks. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we yeah. go back like four or five times. Like I said, it's not bad stuff at all. It's all right. very important to the narrative. It's just like, it's choppy, you know? It kills the momentum of what's going on in the present day a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it didn't, for me, that didn't really dampen the movie, but like maybe it would have heightened it if it was a little bit better. But I didn't really have a problem with that, but I do hear what you guys are saying. Well, let's get into our ratings and then move into spoilers because there's a lot to discuss, especially with the second half of this film. Yeah. Um, if you are just joining us for the first time, we rate movies based on the seat scale. If we love a movie, think it has no flaws, we give it a royal throne. If we think a movie is fantastic, has minimal flaws, we give it a plus recliner. If we think a movie is solid but has some decent flaws, we give it a wooden seat. If we think a movie is bad but has some okay things, a uh, damp lawn chair. And if we think a movie's horrible, we give it a sleazy outhouse. If we think you should see it in theaters, we put a little bag of popcorn check mark next to our ratings. Um, so, Jake, what would you rate Shang-Chi? Easy plus recliner. Like, it's no it's no masterpiece, but it's like one of those movies that's, it's, is it amazing? I wouldn't go that far, but how many flaws does it have? Like, very few. It's just, it knows what it wants to be. It's successful in that vision. And it's just so much fun from start to finish. It's so, it's very creative. We're going to be talking about the action a lot because, wow, the choreography. There's a couple scenes in Winter Soldier. There's a couple scenes in Civil War as far as, like, fight choreography goes. But, man, Shang-Chi is going to give them all a run for their money. There's a couple in here. Like, like I remember when it first came out, Twitter was like, oh, that one scene from Shang-Chi. And I, I walked out of the theater like, which one? There was a couple that I was very impressed with. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I think so. we should be clear. It's different style fighting from what we usually get from the MCU. This is hand-to-hand stuff. Oh, yeah, and I love, love a good hand-to-hand combat fight scene. Like, like this might be unpopular. I don't. I actually don't know, but it might be. I don't think the Bourne fight sequences are that great because he tries to, like, follow every punch, and then I, I don't know what's going on. This type of hand-to-hand fight combat scenes, oh, my goodness. I was just so impressed the whole time. Easy plus recliner. This should be seen in theaters or the best screen possible. Boy, what a stray shot to the Jason Bourne franchise. Matt Damon just, just minding his own business at home. Yeah. <laughs> that's like a two-decade-old ricochet at this point. Yeah, right, for real. That's, just, that's always what I think of. Those like those movies are very beloved, and when I finally sat down and watched them, I was a little disappointed with the, the fight styles. But, <laughs> Different time. Yeah, digressed. Nate? Yeah, I think way back when, when we gave Captain Marvel a look-see, I gave that one a plush recliner, and I think for consistency's sake, I'll give this one a plush recliner as well. I'd put it probably a step or two above Marvel. I don't know where this is my great pantheon of MCU films. All 25 now. lists the same way that you do, Drew. Um, and that's a knock on me, not a knock on you. You, I mean, a step, you mean a step or two above <laughs> Captain Marvel? or Yes, correct. Correct. Yeah. I really, really like the first half of this movie. I really like the father-son dynamic that we talked about. And I absolutely adored the action scenes that we've been talking about. It reminded me a lot of old school Jackie Chan, which we don't see a lot in Hollywood, especially American Hollywood. So it's really, really exciting to get really creative fight choreography going on in here. And we haven't even like talked about the superhero aspect of this too, too much. Like I've complained That's about true. DC for having super powered characters that equate to just punching and kicking things really hard. That's all that Shang-Chi is supposed to really be able to do at the beginning of this movie is just punch and kick and do all this stuff. But the way they go about it is so creative that it brings that Marvel spin that I bring up every time we talk about superhero movies. And it's just using 
their powers and abilities in ways that I've never seen put to screen before. And it works. Absolutely does. So, plush recliner. Very much enjoyed it. I wish the third act held up to the first act, but I will take what I can get, and this is a very good get. You know, the upper echelon of these MCU movies, most of them, the like a Thor Ragnarok, which is just just lulls all the time, and 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 for for good reason. A lot of them are built on this great foundation of a story, and I'm sure Kevin Feige will say this at his any TED talk that you ever see him give, wherever it is. <laughs> in front of the investors or in front of all the fans. Mm-hmm. He'll say that they start with the story and then build to the the action and the the Easter eggs and the MCU connections from there. And a lot of the times you, you kind of look at him, you're like, this is kind of bullshit. And I don't know if you how much you worked on the story for Thor the Dark World. You just like the, the dark <laughs> elves. Um, this really feels like, for Shang-Chi, the way that they scripted it and the way that they designed it, they had a great idea for a story and how to integrate all the elements around it. So for example, if we're talking about like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, that is built on the paranoia of spy work and how surveillance has, is changing in the modern day. And the movie takes that point and runs with it. Black Panther is about legacy and how to use power and how to, obviously it's got a big racial tie to how, how to help your people without causing violence. This one, is built on the great foundation. It's basically just the story of this family that's been broken and absolutely destroyed by tragedy and by ambitions and by selfishness. Just a horrific past. And all of those characters coming back to play at once. And the movie does such a really good job at divulging the information and getting the conflict between Shang-Chi and Wenwu because that's where the heart of this movie is and that's where the conflict of this movie really shines and that's what makes it an upper tier MCU movie beyond all the great action and direction and the fantastic cinematography by Bill Pope a uh, longtime cinematographer and you know it's really funny too the movie we haven't even mentioned that it's a really funny one of these too it's a really entertaining work but it has more to it than you would expect as well and that's what put it up for me I'm not I'm not going royal throne but it is a very 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 strong plush recliner if you're an MCU fan, this is a must-see. And like Jake said, you've already seen it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but let's move into our spoilers. If you have not seen Shang-Chi, go see it. We all recommend it. If you have, join us in spoilers. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! Um, so I think, really, the action scene that a lot of people are highlighting is the fight on the trolley, right? Hell to the yes, Sick. the bus scene. Yeah. That was awesome. Sick. And I like that it there was like was a point where it could have definitively ended and they just they let it go a bit further and I was like that's fine. Let it go. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The way he uses the environment, like he's swinging around the poles, he's catching the knife and whatnot in his jacket and then tying up the guy in it in like this super sleek motion. Every, everything about that was just high adrenaline. Oh my God, I can't wait to see what he's going to do next for the entirety of that probably five, seven minutes tops. Um, all while the bus is rolling down a hill. Like, just awesome setup and paid off in dividends. I, I really, really appreciated the movie for that and all the stunt coordinators that had to work that hard to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
the the main stunt coordinator of this movie it's kind of a bittersweet success for this film because i know the person a person who had like a big part and i'm trying to find his name so i could be respectful brad allen was his name he was a noted stunt coordinator and he helped design all the fight scenes and he sadly passed away he had such a big hand in designing how the hand-to-hand combat works and he worked with daniel cretton to kind of showcase the action best they could in the space that they had Uh, and it really pays off with that action scene on the bus and in the scaffolding fight that comes later when they eventually go to asia (laughs) do you like that one more jake I don't know. There's there's literally like four plus that I I can think of that make me go like just very very cool. I <laughs> love the trolley fight scene because the little kid in me like you could just tell somebody was just getting as creative as they possibly could in this little environment and it works so well. Yes, use the pole. <laughs> yes, cut it in half. Yes, it's running away and you have to veer left. Yes, you have to save the grandma. Yes, you, like all of it. All of it works at every single moment and and you could see the effort put into it too because that's a tight space that could not have been easy to film that could not have been easy to pull off and they pulled it off so well but then same with the, the scaffolding one like you know everything is going to turn out fine because he's our hero and we're just meeting him but there are points when they're on the scaffolding fight that i was slightly tense like oh shit this is mm-hmm. this is crazy <laughs> this is really awesome right well they let him take a punch every once in a while he's not perfect yeah yes Absolutely. It's the it's a John Wick formula, I guess, in that sense where, yeah, he's winning, but he's getting beat up the entire time. He's not like walking home, like feeling okay. (laughs) Right. Well, the days of the 80s action stars and we've talked about this on the show before where the heroes go in and 30,000 people are shooting at them and they like the most they get is a graze of the bullet on the shoulder. Like that's over. (laughs) Like people like to see their heroes get up and, you know, get punched, you know. Yeah, the scaffolding fight's really creative, too. I think I prefer the bus scene to it if I had to pick, but they are darn close. And again, the fact that this all happens in the first 40 minutes of the movie, give or take, is awesome. Yeah, if you if you weren't hooked before. Yeah, I don't think there's been any Marvel movie that adrenaline-packed before. Like, maybe Infinity War, just because things get going so quick Oh, well, there, yeah, but... there's a fight scene every four minutes, but... <laughs> yeah, but, and again, but that's that's an ensemble, like, yeah. straight-out-of-comic-book movie. This is characters we've never seen before, and like you said, Jake, I'm, I'm gripping the edge of my seat, I'm biting my nails, like, oh my god, what's it gonna do next? Yeah. This guy has a knife for an arm, it's insane. Yeah, and even, as, as long as we're talking about action, so everybody always says that a lot of choreography is just really like dances, like fight scenes... They're choreographed movements that are, like, planned and being used in the moment. So, like, everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows what to do next, where we're going. But the fight scene with when the main villain is trying to get into Talo and he ends up kind of getting beat, it's it's a fight scene, but it's also a dance. You see them in conflict, but also, like, interested with each other. And then, obviously, they end up, they end up married. I like that Very scene a lot. Very Mr. and Mrs. Smith vibes. Oh, yeah. You're, you're talking about the prologue. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, it's a courtship. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a really awesome fight slash getting to know these characters scene. And then that also enhances uh, the villain. That makes him more... Because like when you first introduced him, I was like, all right, he's cool, but I hope he's not just a power-hungry maniac because we've had that more than once already. And it, it makes him so much deeper. It makes him that much more interesting when we find out his backstory, what his motives are. 
Like, not that I agree with him, but you kind of understand where he's coming from, even if he's a little crazy. Like, that all adds to this movie quite a bit. Yeah, and I, I know I kind of talked a little bit about the pacing and how it's choppy, but I think the first 45 to 50 mo- minutes of this movie are, like, I, flawless sounds a little strong, but for what it needs to accomplish, it's stellar. First mm-hmm. of all, and we, we need to talk, we haven't really talked about Aquafina at all. The three of us have a difference of opinion on her in general. Um, <laughs> and I think she does, I think she acquits herself really well in this movie, but her character is important because she is the audience perspective. So when Sean slash Shang-Chi starts kicking the shit out of people on the bus, we are just as surprised as she is. And, you know, that information starts to get slowly divulged. And it's it's a good introduction to what the ride is going to be for the rest of this movie. And the prologue does a really good job at that, too, Jake. You're absolutely right, because it's setting up when Wu as a villain that is more compelling beyond just the conflict for Shang-Chi. I think, I think it's very telling that the movie starts with him and not with Simu Liu. Yeah. And, and I, but I think that's it's worthy and it's effective because it comes, even though, Nate, I want to dissect this third act with you a little bit, but in the third act, it comes full circle from the prologue to the ending. Like it all, I think that all makes sense to have your villain who's, what is he, a thousand years old in the prologue? It's establish him. More, yeah. And then get to your hero. Yeah, I thought that was, I thought that made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I loved Wenwu as the villain. I think he stole every scene he was in, and he was competing with some pretty charismatic people. Um, but the way that his he just commands respect, and the fact that he's just such a goddamn good actor. Holy shit, Tony Leung, where the hell have you been? Um, I, I need to watch more of your movies. I was going to say, he's <laughs> been around. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's, he was iconic. He was amazing. And again, he, he complex because the entire time he's coming from his own version of justice, which is I need to get vengeance for my wife slash find my wife. I mm-hmm. think she's being held captive. And my family doesn't understand what I know. And I want them to be involved because this is their mother, too. I think that's such a cool dynamic, too. Like he kind of sort of forces them into this adventure, but the way that he speaks to them compels them to want to figure out the mystery too. It's not just like, oh my God, dad's dragging me on family road trip. It is yeah, like- it, It's not the Goofy movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that just made for such a complicated, cool character. Yeah. And that fight at the end between Shang-Chi and Wenwu was spectacular. Like them battling for the rings and going off yeah, of that. Yeah, I like I that. I love that. There, there, um, there's a lot that you can say about the character's progression. The, the whole thing is really just a tragedy. Like, he he was a warlord for so long, and it's the story of a guy who, like, tried to go straight, fell in love, tried to have a family, and then completely relapsed when that family was slightly taken away from him because of the, the mistakes he made in the past. It's like he can't help himself. He's corrupted by the power, you know, that makes what Shang-Chi is going through so compelling because it's like, well, what's it going to be like father, like son? And of course his hero journey is to prove that no, he is going to be a protector, not a murderer. Mm, Right. But then we transition to the third act where everything comes to a head and we introduce Michelle Yeoh's character and Shang-Chi's sister, who we haven't even really mentioned, plays a pivotal role here, gets more involved in the action. Trevor Slattery is there. Ben Kingsley's character. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What? (laughs) Along with Morris, the, uh, not faced uh, 
thing? Uh, why would you describe what Morris is? Well, it's I don't a know. spirit animal. He's it looks a, like a stuffed pillow with six legs and wings. He's yeah, a with all faceless, hairy, flying Kirby thing. He's all donk, no face. You remember the the little <laughs> um, the ottoman dog thing in Beauty and the Beast? It's like that. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah that's pretty. There good. you go. <laughs> yeah. We we like him. Yeah, he was cute. Uh, ben Kingsley coming back was a fun little aha to the fans, right, but ultimately sure. inconsequential. Um, well, it ends up being consequential because he takes them; he's able to get them back to where Michelle Yeoh is. But yeah, they, they but could they could have you written him screen out. that in a million different ways. Yeah, they yeah. put Ben Kingsley there for the fans. So Talo is interesting. Like it's this whole new world. Um, you can definitely tell that the animators and the graphic artists had a good time making it and creating all the creatures mm -hmm. that actually look pretty good. There have definitely been some green screeny CGI moments in Marvel movies in the past and present. Um, but this one did a really cool job just creating this very green environment after so much of this movie takes place in stone and city landscapes and into the dark. So it was a cool, colorful change of pace there. The issue with the third act is that there's so much exposition that needs to happen. And this is the point where the movie's supposed to be climaxing. And we have to go through, like, this whole museum tour of, like, oh, yeah, there's these evil soul-sucking monsters, and they can speak through dreams, and that's why your father's been hearing what he is. Also, we have dragons. Also, here's all this special armor. Also, here's what she is. It's just so much. And I get that you need to set things up, but the whole bit with, like, the soul sucker demons felt just so extra to me. This story had such a clear and concise battle between father and son and differences of ideals and what they perceived as truth. We did not need to have the CGI monster fest and have Aquafina learn how to shoot a bow and then be amazing at it literally that half a day later. I, I agree with that. That That's a little pet peeve of mine. She's there. What are they going to have her do? She can't just stand around. No, I know. It's got to make sense, though. Yeah, but you could have given more for the, the sister character to do, too. She doesn't get a whole ton to do as soon as the dragons come out. And that's, that's the part that I was like, this is a kaiju fight now, after we had that amazing battle between father and son. And I'm like, I don't need this anymore. I don't care about CGI kaiju fight i care about shang chi and the relationship with his father and that just ended right. <laughs> so and, abruptly and, and that's and that's where marvel giveth and marvel taketh away somebody had an interesting mm -hmm. point on letterbox and they were like and i don't know if i agree with this but they basically said that these movies would be double as good if they cost half as much money you kind of get the feeling that marvel has 180 million dollars to work with in the budget the conflict can never be so small as just the two of them fighting. You know what I mean? Where we've yeah, gotten past that. Pay your production assistance. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and exactly that, Drew. Like, the, the stakes need to get to world-ending heights because it's a Marvel movie, I guess. And this movie would have been so much better if it was just isolated to the family drama. It would have ended so much cleaner, in my opinion. I, I didn't need the giant evil bat dragon thing. Yeah. I didn't even really need the big dragon on the good side in that fight at all. I'm partially with you. Like, I think the army of evil soul-sucking bat demon things was unnecessary. And I agree that, like, this is a pet peeve of mine when, like, somebody who's never fought before can all of a sudden shoot the 
killing blow with a bow and arrow like 24 hours later. I'm kind of with you. I'm just like, mm-mm, doesn't work like that. But I like that there's dragons in the MCU now, okay? Sue me. I thought it was cool. All right? I'm okay with them existing. I just didn't need to dedicate 20 minutes of an action scene to them. That's When fair. all I want is the father characters to stay alive. And the fact that Zhu Wenwu is introduced and then taken away, meaning he's not going to come back for future Shang-Chi movies, that one hurts my soul. You know, we've kept around so many mediocre MCU villains to come back later whenever they feel like it. And we lost a really, really good one in the first movie they appeared in. No, I hear what you're saying. I think the movie, like, also, it over explains things a little bit. Like, we don't, all that exposition probably isn't necessary. Like, audiences kind of can just go with things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Chi, I think, is definitely one of those things that you could totally do. Yeah. I was pretty wrapped up in that final act, so I'm, I'm okay with the decisions that they made and all of the different elements that were in play. Uh, but I, I, I definitely don't dispute anything you're saying either. Um, one final thing I want to talk about before uh, we move on, because we got to move on to our other review here. Right, that one. Uh, they, we talked about the integration of Ben Kingsley's character. Benedict Wong is basically in this movie for 45 seconds at the beginning just so that they can bring him back for an admittedly very funny and very sweet mid credit scene that also makes you excited for how uh, Katie and Shang-Chi are going to be integrated into the MCU going forward. You know, it's like kind of a welcome to the team moment. And and, it, and it's mm-hmm. simple, but it's nice. Yeah, I, I'm all for it. I can't wait to see the internet reactions keep rolling in about how Hulk is looking like Bruce Banner again. The simple explanation production-wise is that are just tired of animating the Hulk for these movies. Um, I'm sure that Mark Ruffalo wants to keep getting his FaceTime in. Well, yeah. It is a fun little moment. Right. Well, I'm sure they'll have an answer for that in She-Hulk as well when that comes out. I'm, like, kind of down to get, like, a six-episode miniseries of, like, Wong and Abomination and, like, their adventures. I'd watch that. Any predictions (laughs) for what the Ten Rings are? Uh, The only thing I'll say about the Ten Rings is... I, it can't be good news. So that's the that's all I that's all I know. <laughs> there there is a little fan theory floating out there. There's ten rings and ten like major celestial slash eternal characters, and they specifically say that it's not any technology we've seen before. So that's that's my fairly easy <laughs> prediction. But I'm gonna go with it anyway. That ten rings is somehow some sort of eternal slash yes celestial technology. Yeah. I mean, they got to find a way to make Eternals connect somehow beyond yeah, just... Yeah, Mar- Marvel doesn't do one-off standalone movies. Everything's connected, so... <laughs> yeah, you're probably, you're probably right. You were right about the f***ing Coral in Old. Anyway. <laughs> He's still on that, huh? I will never oh. be over that, because I, I yelled into the mic, I swear to God, if you're right, and then when they brought it up and swam to it, right, we're not talking about old. Anyway. Yeah, we got to move on. <laughs> all right, never you, all, you, guys have, you guys have one sentence to sum up your thoughts on Shang-Chi, and then we got to move on. It could be a run-on sentence, but it could only be one sentence. Jake, go ahead. Oh, it's, it's going to be run-on. Do you know me? <laughs> um, Shang-Chi is super, super fun from start to finish. Uh, very minimal issues. Um, it's another really good line in a long, now long line of Marvel movies. And it's, but it, it's also more than that. It's more than the action scenes. The story's really fun. It has that, that Asian culture, like fable, fairy tale kind of aspect that I personally am not that familiar with. So that was refreshing to me. Um, and just good components all around. Good cast, good villain. 
Um, good story, good graphics, good action. Like, just top to bottom, just really, really good. If you somehow haven't seen it, you're a Marvel fan, yeah, you have to see this and you have to see it on a big screen. Nate, one sentence. <laughs> that was one. I said and a few no, times. No, that was not one sentence. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here, Jake. Here's my sentence. I liked it. More, please. Yeah. <laughs> Entertaining, fun, has its issues. Top 10 Marvel movie. Go see it if you haven't seen it. All right. We got to move on. Let's move into our second review tonight of the sequel to Venom. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. We should be out there snacking on bad guys. You live in my body. You live by my rules. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. Please let me fix it. So I can fix it again. Eddie Brock, I want to give you my story. All I ever wanted in this world is carnage. You feel like home to me. Like family. Is anybody used to the title yet? No. No. <laughs> no. Pretty much name drop it immediately in the movie at some point. I won't say who says it, but... Yeah, I'm, I was I was sick of that shit as soon as that happened. Venom Let There Be Carnage directed by Andy Serkis, who, of course, you know as Gollum and King Kong and Ulysses Claw. Uh, he, he's been around forever, obviously mocap king. Uh, and he helms not his first movie, but probably his biggest movie to date. It stars Tom Hardy, Woody Harrelson, Michelle Williams, Naomi Harris, Reed Scott, Stephen Graham, the sequel to 2018's Venom, which was a massive hit uh, financially, not critically. Uh, this one has been getting better reviews. Uh, it is way shorter. It's about 90 minutes, and it basically is about Eddie and Venom learning to coexist. It's not really going all that well. They're about a year into their tenure together. They're, they basically spend the first half of the movie arguing, and then the second half of the movie is basically defending themselves against uh, Cletus Cassidy, who is a serial Nate, killer. Doesn't doesn't Andrew already sound tired? <laughs> <laughs> He's already tired of this movie. <laughs> it's like kind of hard to sum up, surprisingly, because it's like I'll give the movie this. It's it's simple. It, not a lot happens. Um, no. Cletus Cassidy, he gets infected with Venom's blood. And then he becomes Carnage, who is a red symbiote, uh, who is extremely dangerous and has a lot of different power sets that Venom doesn't have, which begs the question, if he comes from Venom, why doesn't Venom have said power sets? Yeah, but I was, I was going to say, not that you made this up, but a lot of things you said, which do happen in the movie, I'm not sure make that much sense. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway. We'll, 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 we'll get into it here. Yeah, we will. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, we will. Jake, why don't you start, since you're, you're running hot here. Yeah, um, Venom Let There Be Carnage. That's the last time I'll say the full title. Venom 2 um, suffers from that sure, let's go with it storyline. Like, I guess this has to happen in order to move the plot forward. I'm not sure it makes sense, but I guess it has to happen. But then the movie's not, not fun enough to work with that kind of story. So you end up scratching your head, and then it ends up being too silly at times. And then there's some... Horrible dialogue. They forced the word carnage in way too many times. Uh, and then there's just leaps in logic. There's plot holes. And then you just hope that Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson could do the best that they can to save this movie. And I guess they do their best. But even then, I've seen Tom Hardy in better. Certainly. I've certainly seen Woody Harrelson better. Like, like for me, the first one is watchable because Tom Hardy 
is so off his rocker at times that it's kind of entertaining. This one is not quite the same in that. So I don't know. I didn't really have a whole. I didn't really have a whole lot of fun with this. I was kind of. I, I went in with low expectations and I was still disappointed. I agree with some things you said, and then there's there are certain points where I'm I'm willing to give the movie a little bit more credit. But Nate, why don't you go first? Yeah, just for the record, uh, when it came to the original Venom, we all gave it damp lawn chairs, and we all said that Tom Hardy was fun, and that was about it. We said <laughs> that for like 45 minutes. <laughs> yep. Specifically Jake. I actually recall him saying the same sentence about 67 times, and yeah. they cut about 30 from the I pot. try to be positive, and that's all the positive <laughs> I had. This time around, they made the Venom-Eddie dynamic more fun. A lot more comedic. There was a lot of comedy in the first one, too, but they really dig their heels in here. And I will say that's probably to the movie's benefit. This movie needed something because the rest don't work, man. Woody Harrelson is awful. Just, yeah. yeah <laughs> I, that, I love him. That's, that's where I was going to go. Like, Jake started to give Woody credit, and I was like, now nah, he kind of sucked. Oh, <laughs> my God. He was, he was atrocious. Like we we said it in the in the trailer, like I hope he's got like a really cool carnage voice or something, or there's just they're withholding something where he gets to just go all out and all ham like Tom Hardy did in the original. But no, he just sucks the entire way through. He's an awful, awful character within the context of the movie as a serial killer and as an actor. Like there's there's nothing fun to grab onto. We've seen so many sociopaths over the course of the last 10 years of movies, because movies have gotten more violent, and I've been seeing a lot more of them. This this is not no Heath Ledger Joker. No. No, no. And I don't think that's I don't think that's fair to him to have expected that, oh given, my God. given the level of writing on display. It's so... It's not even hammy. It's not even campy. It's just like... It's just one note. I'm bad and whiny right. the whole way through. But before, and... before we just shit talk, <laughs> gen- generally one of the better actors working today... <laughs> I want to. I want to throw out the M word. I was he miscast because I feel like he was miscast. I think it's a combo. I would say yes, miscast. But I would say there's not really a whole lot to that character anyway. He loves this crazy woman. Yeah, I didn't even mention her. Naomi Harris plays Shriek, who yeah. is a villain from the comics. Basically, her her power set is she she yells loud, screams loud enough to make you deaf. I guess she's yeah. the Black Canary of the. Uh, MCU. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say miscast. I think there are people who could have done a better job, but I don't think Carnage was well written. What's his name? Cletus Cassidy is just a crazy man who wants to be with his crazy woman. And then he somehow, I don't think this makes a whole lot of sense, ends up with a symbiote that is different than Venom, even though it's from Venom, like, like Andrew said. And I still don't think that blood thing works, but I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Uh, Anyway. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Whatever. (laughs) Um, And then... Carnage is just like rawr, and he's like, "Yeah, I want to get Eddie Brock now." Like, whatever, yeah. man. Oh, like, oh, yes. I, I, I would like to discuss that further later. That specific last point you made, because <laughs> I don't really understand a lot of that. Nate, Nate, do you have more to say in your intro, or can I go? Uh, just, just go off, King. <laughs> uh, it, it, so here's here's the thing. The movie deserves credit for realizing the strengths of the original and leaning into that a lot. This movie is the positives of the first, but like triple that. But it also is the negatives of the first and double that. So it like evens out to a better movie, but it's still not a good one. Hardy playing with himself as Venom, still the highlights. 
There's a lot more of that in this one. The movie is funny at points, shockingly funny at points. Uh, and then there are other points where it's just like you just get the fatigue of it going on and on. Um, mm -hmm. Venom looks cool. Carnage design-wise looks cool. I guess. Probably where it ends. It, it's, it's, it's an oxymoron here because it's like I'm happy that it's so short, but the movie itself is just insanely rushed. Like, yes, it realistically, the difference between and spoiler alert for my for my rating, the difference between damp lawn chair and wooden seat might be 10 more minutes of development. <laughs> but like, who even knows if that would even? But I, I think that's important. 90 minutes versus 105 could be the difference. Like you said, could be the difference between a rushed kind of sloppy movie and a movie that kind of makes sense. Yeah, but then you make the argument, was this movie broken to begin with? And they just are kind of salvaging the wreckage. And it's pop. I mean. Yeah, but it's not like 145 is long. If this movie was like two and change, yeah, you can cut it. But 145 is always acceptable. Yeah. Neither Venom nor Venom Let There Be Carnage. I will ever mention in the conversation of the worst superhero movies ever made. No. But they, they exist in this vacuum of mediocrity in the middle. This, this movie is just so lame at points. And everything you guys are mentioning is true. The Carnage character doesn't work. I don't know why we brought back Michelle Williams just for her to not do anything again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's for the the she venom thighs one more time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which that is a bit that I like, so I'm kind of glad they brought that back too. <laughs> Bonk! It's the DJ playing party rock anthem by LMFAO over and over again, and it's like, okay, I mean, like, this song's catchy, <laughs> but can we like Holy do something back. else? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like. So I guess, like, the question is, why do these movies keep doing so well? Are these the new Transformers and people are just thirsty for more branding? I, I, I don't like, know. <laughs> I, I, I don't get how the first movie made it like $800 million. I like, I don't mm. understand it. I It's just like people are nostalgic for mid-2000s blockbusters all of a sudden, but people forget that those <laughs> movies were bad. It's like... Yeah. Or they just really, really like Spider-Man and anything remotely connected to Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't know. I heard, I heard some... Deadpool comparisons, which I sort of understand, but Deadpool's obviously way better in terms yeah. of, like, like Venom is just kind of, like, off his rocker, and Tom Hardy's trying to, like, live in the real world, so, kind of. <laughs> um, right, and, and the movie, again, it does it does lean more into those Deadpool aspects, but the problem is it doesn't commit at all. No. Like, it, it was a little bit funnier. Like, I guess I like this one better than the first one. I guess I guess I do, but not by a lot. I wouldn't say it's inherently bad, although it's got some bad stuff in it, but it's never really good. It's just kind of consistently okay, and then some, that was dumb, that didn't make sense. They absolutely should have rewritten that or cut that out, you know? Yeah. I think this is the, the fun type of movie where we can pick it apart once we get more into spoilers. So let's do ratings quick and let's go in. Mm -hmm. uh, Nate, what would you rate this one? Dip, launch air. Don't see it in theaters. <laughs> yeah. Nice and easy. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Jake. Damp launch air. Don't see it in theaters. I'm not singing, but yeah. I, 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 I will say. Wait, we'll get him one day. Come on. <laughs> I, I will say damp lawn chair close to wooden seat. So I think I probably liked it the best of the three of us. Still yeah, didn't I think really so. like it very much, though. I'm not going to. I'm not I'm not going to go to war for this one uh, because it doesn't deserve it. So let's go into spoilers and talk about why it doesn't deserve it. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. Okay, let, can we just get out of the way 
the post credit scene because that's what everybody's like, bro, yeah. that was epic. You know, and they forget yeah. the 90 minutes that came before it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the Reddit thread for this is the first 20,000 comments is only about the post credit scene. And then there's a little piece saying like, <laughs> Why does Carnage want to be with the one woman who can totally destroy his symbiote? I know, right? Like, that was that was a big thought. I was like, this obviously is not going to work. I don't know how well, you guys don't see this. Not but. to defend this movie, but isn't that kind of what ends up being their downfall? Carnage is like, yo, f- this girl. And Cassidy's like, wait, no. Cassidy's like, no, f- this girl, you know. Right. What this, what this movie's downfall is the fact that Carnage needs to somehow go to the top of the building to kill off all the main characters, even though they were perfectly dead at the bottom. Right. Of he can the turn his body into go. anything he wants, but he needs to climb to right. All right. Post true. post credit scene. Yes. Then yes, evisceration. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Probably my favorite part of the movie. Wow. I actually thought. I think the implications fun. I think the scene itself actually wasn't that good. If I'm being honest. I, like, I kind yeah. of I kind of laughed, although I don't think it makes sense. He sees Peter Parker on screen and decides he looks yummy, and that's why he wants to go find him. <laughs> Some of the worst green screen I've ever seen in my life that Tom Holland is standing in front of. Whatever. <laughs> um, I'm actually – I'm not very excited about this because this is the first time that Sony is full-fledged integrating into the MCU canon, as far as we know, you know? And sometimes, like during Thanksgiving, I don't like my foods to touch because I want to enjoy each bit individually. How do you not love if, him? I've I've heard that metaphor three times in the last week, so it lost its shine. <laughs> but um, I don't want to have to sit through bad Sony movies to get references in the good Marvel movies That's and fair. vice versa. That's I fair. don't I don't want to have to pay attention to more Morbius or whatever oh. in order to understand No Way Home. I don't think that's going to happen, especially not right out the bat. Um, and if they want to bring in Venom for like one or two fun kill scenes in an Avengers movie, okay, that's fine. But then it's like, what's the point? Yeah, the web is so complicated at this point, and it's fitting that we're talking about Spider-Man and all this. I'm going to start losing interest eventually. I don't know when that moment is. Shang-Chi obviously still proves to me that the Marvel hype is there. But the more convoluted and more homework that you got to do before each movie comes out, the harder it is to keep up. And having to pay attention to the Sony-verse and the Marvel-verse now doesn't make me feel like a happy viewer. It makes me feel like a consumer and that's not how i want to feel at the movies i i do i do feel that i can already barely keep once marvel started announcing tv shows i was like i might be in trouble i can go see these movies in theaters but if i'm expected to watch all these shows now too i might be in a little trouble i can't keep up with everything i i can barely keep up now so nate i agree with you there because well and that's the other thing the sony movies have not been that good so i don't ding, even ding, ding. necessarily want to keep up with them that being said, I am excited to see Venom in this because Marvel's making the movie, not Sony. Tom Hardy is getting his his Venom debut in a Marvel movie. So, um, so back up. Are you are you implying that he's in No Way Home? Is that what you think is happening? You don't think he's in No Way Home? I don't know. What do you think the post credit team is implying? That he'll show up eventually. Well, wasn't he warped to an alternate, uh, another universe? Wasn't that what happened? Yeah, but they got to get him there the for future movies. 
I, I didn't take that as he's definitely in no way yeah, home. Yeah, like, you gotta remember that Sony was considering moving Venom 2 back to January. Meaning yeah. it wasn't necessary oh, to you're right. these right, in I'm not as excited order, anymore, you know? never mind. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, 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 it's just implying that this is gonna happen eventually. Exactly. Now I'm not as excited, because I thought that yeah. was implying we're gonna get Venom in No Way Home, which I was like, oh, cool. Biggest Spider-Man crossover ever. I'll take yeah, yeah. it. See, if it was guaranteed that it was only No Way Home, I wouldn't care so much. I see. Because, I see. like, I can see Doctor Strange's spell or whatever. We haven't really talked about the No Way Home trailer on this pod yet, but assuming all the fun cameos we're expecting get wrapped up in that movie and we don't have to worry about those characters ever again... That's cool, and Venom can show up for that. But. That's what I was expecting. <laughs> I was kind of surprised you guys were, like, not for it, but now I totally understand. Yeah. No, I, n I never said I wasn't for it. I just, like... Just not as hyped. I was, like, that That seems really cool that he might be in No Way Home. But if you guys are right and that's not the case, then I'm definitely not as excited, and I am definitely sticking with my damn Blanche rating. Because <laughs> it all hinges. I was gonna say, does it that move the needle? We need to we need to talk about the it's text just of the like, movie. It's just the like like the big positive, the big excitement for me just went away. Thanks, guys. It's just like I, I'm kidding. We, and we've had this discussion before. I don't have the same concerns as you guys do as we integrate more and more characters because I think that the way the movies are going to be designed, it's very much going to be like they're going to make it idiot proof slash like very casual viewer friendly. So you won't have to see the other movies to have understand like the broad strokes of this is this character, this is why they're integrated. But it just it will be like extra oomph for a lot of the characters. Like for example, if we're talking about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Wanda being in that, I don't think you're gonna have to have seen all ten episodes of WandaVision to understand what's going on. I think they'll catch you up. Wouldn't you, know what you I mean? have to watch Falcon and Winter Soldier to get Captain America four though? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think they'll do a it's recap. All, it's all about, I mean, I guess, but I feel like that one that one's going to be about Sam being Captain America. He comes into that in the show. How can you, you know, I feel like you kind of have to watch it. Right, and, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier is ostensibly a prequel comic that leads into that main adventure, I think is what I, it's going to end I would up being. feel super nervous going as Captain America 4 without having seen that show. Okay. Well, that you're not everybody. You know what I mean? Like the general the general audience is Yeah, I like I you're right most of the time. I don't know that you're right with this. I think their shows seem pretty pretty intertwined at this point and I I am I I do have a concern. We have to see where they go, but I, I don't know. I, I think we uh, it's impossible to know at this point. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. We're trying to see into I'm, the future. I'm in wait and see mode. Yeah, yeah. We have to see into the future. I just I have a concern. Let's go back to Venom, Let There Be Carnage, because we need to get that out of the do way. Do we have to? <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because we haven't talked yeah, about the movie itself really that much. The there. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, no. <laughs> um, yeah, what, um, what else? What else? What do you guys think was really funny? <laughs> uh, Venom at the Rave, I thought, was probably my favorite scene. Yeah, that was pretty good. I enjoyed that. It went on a beat longer than it needed to with him standing in front with the open mic. Oh, I like, like that. I thought that was funny. Right. Yeah, and I think I think that's kind of been a consensus favorite scene for a lot of people. Teaches them again. It's 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 skip. It, what would you have rather done? Another carnage shriek scene? I'd rather they hang out oh, there. Oh God, no. <laughs> I I guess my humor came more from the Venom Eddie banter and less Venom on his own. If that makes sense. But mm -hmm. um, I, I like the scene as a whole. Um, it just went on a beat, beat too long for me. But that's my personal preference. The, the fight in the apartment was my favorite comedic moment of the movie with like the 2K TV getting thrown out the window and the bike getting Yeah, where he breaks destroyed. his nose twice. 
Yep. So I yeah, can break yeah. it again. Yeah. Boom. Like that was that was great. That was my kind of humor. <laughs> yeah. For for me though, the the venom like that was good. But I have little, and I don't th- I don't know if you guys are gonna go with me on this, but I have little pet peeves where like I know this is about a symbiote that is controlling a man, but it still has to, the logic in the movie still has to make sense. And I have pet peeves when it doesn't add up. So for example, in the beginning when he's talking to the the police detective. And there's clear, like, clearly he's talking to Venom in front of the police detective. Like, there's obviously something wrong with him from the police detective's eyes. And then nothing happens because the plot has to move forward. Like, that irks me. That needs to be touched up. Well, what do you mean nothing happens? I mean, like, he... The police detective just side-eyes him and, like, you're a weird yeah, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, he's suspicious it. of him the whole movie. But, yeah, I, I don't know what Yeah, but he, like, he just, like, side-eyes him. If, if somebody... If I was having a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden they started to lose their mind and talk to themselves, I would be like, what the f***? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. He just gets a look and then like basically like scratches his chin and goes, something's weird about him. Mm-hmm. Actually, weird tangent on the police captain. Maybe it's just me being dumb. I didn't know he was like investigating Eddie. I thought he was like Eddie's boss at the paper he was working at for the first 30 minutes of the movie. Oh, and really? then when he like shows up with a gun drawn, I'm like, oh, wait, no, I totally misread this character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eddie doesn't work anywhere, right? He's still he, unemployed. He says he, something like, if you have any... He's this like, beautiful San Francisco apartment. Yeah. Oh, you misunderstood when he was like, if you have leads. Exactly right. That's what I was asking. Yeah, I like see. when the character was asking him for leads in the investigation, I thought he was looking for like leads so I can put it in my story. And the reason he got so furious for Eddie publishing it was because he didn't get any sense out of it. What a newsie. Obviously wrong, but... <laughs> yeah, L-E-D-E lead. That's how quickly of... the plot moved, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I-, I thought everything with him kind of sucked, if-, if I'm being honest. Like, oh, I don't yeah. know how the movie expects you to-, to think that he was the guy that helped Shriek. Or, like, you know, he was responsible for Shriek's capture or whatever happened. He, he I- took a blast at Point Blank from her... From her scream. He yeah. should be dead, not deaf. <laughs> and he's like not even deaf. He's got a hearing aid. He's like, yeah. he's like, all right. He made out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Guys, w- what does Carnage want? Like, what's his deal? Just go be Carnage. Like, why are you so mad at Exactly. <laughs> I, like, I, I used the Joker comparison because that's a character who just reveled in the chaos of things. And that's what I expected Carnage to be. Carnage having to spend the entire movie just pining after his girlfriend is so dumb. <laughs> um, well, I thought Cletus Cassidy was like, oh, you did bad journalism, and I wanted to tell my story, and you didn't tell it right, so now I'm coming after you. And then Carnage was just kind of like, yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's my point. Like, what? <laughs> I guess, just like, like, he's like, hello, father. And it's like, was right, it like... <laughs> was it like, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying. Maybe it was like, hey, Kill this guy, Eddie Brock, for me, and then I'll let you live in my body, eat whoever you want. Is that what it was? We shouldn't have to be finding out on the podcast, but... They said something like that in the car ride, I think. We're like, we both got something we want from the other. Let's work together kind of thing. It's the same conflict as Riz Ahmed and Shocker, or whatever the, the name of the Venom was, in, or the, the symbiote was in the first Venom, where it's like... The, yeah, oh, Grey Goo guy. Yeah, Grey Goo, Grey Goo guy, yeah. <laughs> where it's like, they are... Uh, they're not compatible, but Eddie and Venom are. And it's like, well, if they're not compatible, why, like, why are they still together? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I get like one feeds off the other's power, I guess. But like, I don't know. I, 
so much of it is so undercooked that it's like yep I do think I, the the action was a little bit better in this one than the first one. They lit them up a little bit more this time. Yeah, a lot of the scenes take place at night, but there's at least lights instead of mist. And, <laughs> and like the way Carnage, like some of Carnage's kills, I thought were were pretty cool at times. Or like when they when they're first driving off and he's like taking out the cars that are tailing him. I was like, oh, that was that was pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> Can we all agree though that the the prison break tornado move looks stupid as hell? <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I'm gonna spin around so fast that I make a whirlwind <laughs> straight out of freaking Pokemon. <laughs> the second grade. Look how fast I am. Mm-hmm. Going back to Eddie and Venom being together, like they they like ostensibly break up. The the movie's obviously a love story between the two of them. Uh, very sweet. Um, uh-huh. Sure. I I was kind of I was on Venom's side a little bit. Eddie's got to let him eat people. He's, he's like, basically starving Venom. I mean, let him eat the bad guys. Why not? I guess it's the whole, like, who who are we to say who's bad, you know? Yeah. Murderers are pretty bad. Well, I mean, Tony Soprano's a murderer. Would you let him meet him? Yeah. Yes, I would. Yeah? Okay. Well, then, yeah. there you go. If I didn't follow him for 75 episodes, I wouldn't well, like him. Well, right. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Eh, <laughs> yeah. Like... There, there's a very fine line with assigning the death penalty to people you meet. Yeah. Like, I get that he's the anti-hero story. I wouldn't mind if he embraced more of the villainous side and ate more people in It would make a more interesting movie. I agree with that. So, having him play the full hero and not eat people makes for a pretty boring movie. Or, or let Venom take over. Like, nah, I'm over this. <laughs> and then him mm-hmm. and Eddie are, like, yeah. fighting about that. I, I wish when Venom was jumping from person to person, we got a little bit more of that. You know what I mean? Like him in control mm-hmm. and like trying to basically splurging and going through all the breakup toxic traits that like people yeah. go through. You know, what I mean? that would have been fun. I do think it's funny that he eventually makes his way to Mrs. Chen. And I thought that yeah, scene yeah. was pretty amusing. I, yeah, I got a, I got a laugh out of that, too. And I didn't expect it at first. Like when they're talking to her, mm-hmm. I was like, she's being weird. Oh, oh, <laughs> why is she being yeah, weird? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I like that too. There we go. There's some positives. Yeah. I would have appreciated just a little bit more creativity with some of the action scenes. Like, I get that they had to keep it PG-13 because they're all about the money that PG-13 makes. Of course. But and it worked out. I mean. <laughs> and and, and money-wise, yes, it worked out. But quality-wise, like, the kills are also boring because everything happens off screen. Like, everyone's just getting stabbed just out of frame. Even, like, the eating of people just all happens out of frame. And when your villain is Carnage, who is literally chaos incarnate, blood and gore everywhere, I'm going to stab all the things. (laughs) It equated to just, like, oh, there's going to be sticky red stuff in the corner of your screens here and there, and we're going to say we ate somebody and move on. It's boring! I'm not even really a blood and gore person, but this was such a soft PG-13. I hope Andy Serkis does other better things. I don't think any of the issues with this movie are Andy Serkis's fault. I don't know if it's his fault, but like, this could have used an entire facelift. But like, that's the screen, that's the writing. Then I think. But I mean, there there are times when like a script's not that great, and a really talented director makes it better. You know. Mm, yeah, it, it, it certainly it certainly is not. A ballsy movie, but I, I feel like we knew that going in. And again, I feel like that goes beyond Andy Circus. I don't know. I, I, I think I think you gotta start from the top and be like the whole concept of us making this movie in the way that we decided to make it. 
Like it, it was a good use of their one F bomb though. I'll give them that. <laughs> when they finally get rid of uh Cassidy. <laughs> yeah, that the F bomb in the first movie was so weak that I'm glad that they used it better here, right? <laughs> um all right, I think we're running out of steam here. Oh yeah. A lot of a lot of gaps here, so let's let's wrap it up here. Jake, final thoughts on Venom Let There Be Carnage. Um yeah, a little bit better than the first, but I don't I don't need a third. I'm I'm good if they just cap it at two. If they wanted if they want to do Venom again at some point down the road, I'm fine, but like I don't need this Venom story. I'm done with it. Um I didn't hate it, but like, I don't know. I wasn't a fan and I still kinda went in with low expectations. My audience had a really good time. I was I was not really there for it. Um I don't know, it's just underwhelming. I'm struggling to come up with positives. I yeah. do think it is important to note that we are all lower than I think general audiences are on these movies. And oh, I mean, yeah. Most of my audience was having a great time. I was the odd man. If we all sat down and talked about it for some reason, I'd be all the odd man out. Right. And I mean, critically, this is technically positive. Uh, 60% of Rotten Tomatoes. Is it? Uh, 60? Still? Wow. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah, so I didn't get that. Clearly, clearly people are enjoying this more. Yeah. Uh, Nate? You didn't that much more. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I was... I, I never got full mad at this movie, hence the damp lawn chair. Yeah, yeah. And not the sleazy outhouse. But I was either bored or is laughing. So if they want to make a third one, you got to keep leaning into the comedy and just make the story Tom Hardy and Eddie Brock focused, I think. Because without a Spider-Man, the villains here are weak and the weak structure around these characters is even worse to the point where it's it's borderline travesty and at best mediocre. So let's do better. Venom's a fun character. Tom Hardy's a good actor. Yeah. We can do it, but not this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a drag and drop of what I said about the first movie, but on steroids a little bit. Tom Hardy deserves credit for not phoning this in and bringing as much energy as possible to both Eddie and Venom. And he really elevates a lot of the bad material. And there is still a lot of bad stuff. There's just less bad stuff this time. I still wouldn't recommend it per se, uh, but I, I wouldn't scream and beg and tell people definitely don't see it. You know what I mean? Like no, if you're going to watch it, you're going to watch it. It is what it is. So that's Venom. Let there be carnage. By the way, I, I, just to bring it to a nice bookend, like the fact that Eddie Brock or not Eddie Brock, Cletus basically says that line is exhausting. I yeah, I I wanted to like, <laughs> God, my eyes rolled so hard I thought I was gonna crack my orbital bone. I was like, stop saying that; it doesn't work. Stop it. Leave it alone. Right. All right. Well, that'll do it for this review and for our marvelous episode here on the Middle Seats Podcast. Before we go, Nate Lungrini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Heading into the home stretch of 2021, we've got a lot of big movies coming down the pipe. We're going to cover as many as possible for you. You can, you can put it on your calendar now. We're definitely going to be talking about Dune at some point. 
you definitely guarantee we're going to be talking about Eternals and Spider-Man No Way Home. The rest, we're going to get as much to you as possible. Thanks for joining us, as always. For Nathan Garini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. So let's go into spoilers and talk about why it doesn't deserve it. He almost <laughs> went there. I've sung on the podcast before. I want that on record. Yeah, I want to hear that. Ah.